Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. How you doing? I hope you're keeping your head on straight, you're getting through these times, and you're doing okay. That's what I hope. My name is Andy Sitto. I'm your host. I'm a songwriter, musician, composer, uh, a plethora of other things I do to get by, baseball card collector, CU Buffs basketball fan. That's me. I have this podcast. I live in the Denver area. I have this podcast, Middle Class Rockstar, and we're in closing in on the 50 mark. My goal when I started this thing was to get to 100 episodes. Actually, it was to get to 10 episodes and then 100 episodes. I'm almost halfway to that mark. I think we're at 45 this week. I have to double check that, but really cool. I have so much fun doing it, especially since I started season two about 20, 22 episodes ago, something like that. I've had a renewed interest. We've started doing it once a week instead of every other week, and I just love it. I love I love doing it. My guest today is Megan Burt. I've known Megan, gosh, for 10 years maybe, or close to it. I first saw her, she came to general recital or convocation as some universities call it at CU Denver. I was a freshman or sophomore and she had just graduated from Berkeley and was doing all kinds of successful things in the scene and she came back to share some of her knowledge with some of uh, the CU Denver music students in our Friday morning general recital convocation. If you're a music student, you know what that is. You gather once a week, somebody comes and talks or performs, you write an essay, you hand it in, you have to do it 10 times a semester. Most people hated convocation in college, but I really enjoyed it because I, I got to be introduced to a lot of great artists such as Megan Burt, and I learned a lot of things. And I, I didn't mind going to campus on Fridays because nobody else was on campus on Friday. And that was sort of fun for me. I could be antisocial and just kind of hang out around downtown Denver. Anyway, Megan grew up in Colorado herself, went to Berkeley College of Music, um, got her degree there, and then moved back to Colorado. She went to Cleveland, Mississippi shortly after graduation, but fell uh ill and had to come back home. And in that time, she's done so many great things. She's gone on a few adventures to different places, different countries, um, but has has made Denver her home. She's put out a couple of her own albums, including 2010's It Ain't Love and 2015's The Bargain. She's also done some collaborations uh, with her solo project and put out a couple other a couple other projects. One of them's called In Good Company, and I believe that came out in 2013. And that's where Megan did a co-write with all the biggest Colorado artists at the time. They recorded the songs and put it out as an album. Some of those artists included on there were Rachel and the Kings, The Epilogues, Chris Daniels, Coven Hoven, Shell, uh, Bob Schism, and John Magny. Great album. Check it out. She also uh, just put out a release with a brand new project called Ginger Bomb. And if you're wondering where the title of that band came from, they all have red hair. You got to go go to gingerbombband.com and check out the photo and it'll all it'll all make sense and then go listen to the album. Anyway, I had a great conversation with Megan. Um she's she's been in the scene forever. She's been through a lot. She's done some great travels. 
She has a Patreon that you can support her on, and the the link to that Patreon is in the show notes, so please go check it out. The artists really appreciate that. We're going to hear Megan sing one of her original songs at the end of the episode entitled Real Thing. What else was I going to say about Megan? I could go on all day. Um, she does a tour every year. Not this year, of course. Um, it's been on a little bit of a hiatus, but... For the most part, every year she's taken a band out on the road and played for inmates at correctional facilities. And she talks about that experience. That's a little bit different than your average tour. Yeah, if, if you're a fan or if you're an artist, that's a different thing to be performing um, at correctional facilities. So we chat about that. She also chats about her tours overseas. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the podcast a very quick thanks to my sponsors. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Our other sponsor is Narrator Music. They provide simple and affordable licensing for sync. For more information on them, go to www.narratorrf.com. Let's get into it. Hey, Megan, how's it going? Hi, Andy. Thanks, Thanks, for, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's nice to see a familiar, friendly face. It's been a while. I'm try- I was trying to remember the first time and the last time, and I think the first time was at general recital at CU Denver when I was in school and you just moved to town. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. And the last time, I have no idea. That was, you are doing a better job than I could, so bravo. <laughs> so um, where did you, did you grow up in the Colorado area or, or were you elsewhere growing up? I grew up in Denver. I'm a Colorado girl. Um, and when did you start getting into music and songwriting? Hmm. Well, I uh, really in high school, I discovered a guitar that my dad had in his office and uh, it had a real big crack down the face of it and got it fixed up for me for my 15th birthday. And uh, I just took the songwriting pretty quickly. That was sort of my intro into guitar playing, was writing songs, but, you know, finding things that sounded good and writing songs. And who were some of the early influences? Um, in the early influences question, Andy, uh, uh, I grew up on Bonnie Raitt, um, Sean Colvin, Ella Fitzgerald, Paul Simon, uh, James Taylor. All the good stuff. Lee Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um. And you, uh, when you went off to college, you decided to pursue it further. Did you have, did you have a second option? Were you considering doing something else or did you know you wanted to do music? I, I knew I wanted to do music in college. It wasn't until I visited, you know, did the college tour 
and visited Berkeley and realized what was possible in a music degree. And after that point, I was pretty laser beam focused uh, wanting to do just music. But before then, I knew I, I wanted to definitely incorporate music somehow, but and what did you did you end up majoring in songwriting in particular i spent a lot of time with those people i took a lot of those classes but i got um uh the biggest bullshit major possible which is called professional music uh i'm not sure what that really it, what it is is a sort of create your own major for indecisive people in music school where you could just take classes that interested you and then they'd still give you a degree. But but I, I wouldn't recommend it. I'll put it that way. Okay. Okay. So what, I mean, what kind of classes were you piecing together for your custom major? I was taking a lot of songwriting classes, but I, again, I didn't major in songwriting. I uh, studied abroad for a semester and having a sort of helped me transfer those credits um i i did a lot of ear training i was really into ear training and and theory um a lot of singing singing yeah, yeah. <laughs> did did you enjoy your time there? I feel like most people I've talked to who are Berkeley people just rave about it after they've been. Do they really? Yeah. Did you? Oh, are, do you not? Well, that's interesting because I, I don't see that trend necessarily all the way across. I'd love to know the people you're talking to. Um, I would love to talk to them as well and get their their. Uh, feedback. I loved a lot of it. Hated a lot of it too. Yeah. Um, Berkeley, uh, which you can consider at that time. I, you know, it's been a little while, so I, I don't know what the school is doing now. But at that time, for better or worse, it was very much set up, kind of like the music industry, which is figure it out yourself, kid. <laughs> you know, there was no men or direction or help as far as figuring out like what the hell am I going to do with this all of this and and sort of help getting focused it was kind of just like trial and error at that school right. and it has a huge retention rate um I, I know a lot of people who didn't graduate right so uh I guess I guess I'll say that it's like anything else in life, which is it is what you make of it. And those lessons are harder to learn when you're young. Like I went to college when I was 17 and those were hard lessons to learn. But it is what you make of it. You know, I, I, I would have done it so much different now than I know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I know a few people who, who didn't go all the way through as well, enjoyed what they, they got, what they needed to out of it and moved on. And yeah. I, I think about that sometimes where I, I went to school at 17 because that's what you do, right? You don't know any different necessarily if that's, um, if that's the, the path you're on. Uh, graduate high school, go to college, whatever. But I, I think about that often 
how I may have gotten more out of school a few years later. I mean, I needed a curriculum. I needed somebody to tell me exactly what to do and help me, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I, I feel very passionate about that, that I think people waste a lot of money in college because they either go to school too early or colleges are not equipping their students uh, well as far as like mentorship goes. What would you, if you were running that school or any, any music school, but let's say you're, you're, I don't know what, what's the title, the person that runs the music school, the president, I don't know. You're the president of Berkeley in the fall. What do you, what do you change about it? Um, I would change again. These things may have already been changed. I'm speaking from when I was a student there, right. but I, I would change a lot of things. I would change uh, the private lessons uh, were very short and kind of unfulfilling. I, I'm not like trying to down talk Berkeley. Like a lot, yeah, lot of things happen there. I'm like hearing myself like, say all these negative things, but um, I, I would I would put more focus on private lessons because that's why people are there really to get a lot of people, you know, are there to improve on their instrument. And I didn't feel like the private lessons, at least in the vocal department, really did that. Um, and I would create a mentorship program, whether it's with upper class students, grad students, or uh, people in the industry. Like, what an amazing way to support the Boston music scene to create sort of a, a small fund for professional working musicians to mentor students. God, like, wouldn't that be so cool? I would have loved that to have a singer songwriter who'd been doing it for five or 10 years when I was in school to sort of like show me the way. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that that's important for, you know, every person in every, in every genre of life, you know, mentorship and having someone who believes in you who can sort of soften the landing a little bit, I think would do a lot of good lot of areas yeah yeah absolutely and did you come right back after graduating or did you stick around for a couple years I left right away I left Boston right away um I came back to Colorado just for a summer to work uh teaching music saving some money I uh moved to Cleveland Mississippi to the deep south um was a short-lived experience because I fell very ill while I was there um, and had to leave Mississippi about a month or so after I got there. And um, that sort of steered me on a different trajectory. <laughs> so what was, what was the trajectory you were shooting for by moving uh, to Cleveland? I wanted to immerse myself in, in blues music, in the music of the South, uh, specifically like the blues. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to study Robert Johnson uh, and find the people that were actually doing it. That's that's a unique. I think that's a great approach, and it's a, a unique approach too. I think for a lot of singer songwriters to try to go knee deep into the blues direction. Was it 
Um, was I listening to Bonnie Raitt that helped motiv motivate that, or were there some other artists or other things? Yeah, it's definitely very inspired by Bonnie Raitt. But 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 even the music of of the Deep South. I mean, it has that music is so deeply rooted and. There's so much soul and history just given the where it came from, you know, the yeah. people uh, were forced over from Africa and and uh, I, I just found that fascinating, you know, sort of like fife and drum music um, and how it evolved into Robert Johnson and how that evolved into uh, Chicago blues. Texas blues and, and I just thought it was fascinating and I wanted to uh, get hands dirty but again that trajectory didn't ever happen because of my illness but I, uh, I had big plans <laughs> maybe one day I'll I'll get back there and maybe I wasn't supposed to you know yeah I, maybe yeah. I just wasn't supposed to um well, so you ended up back in Denver and and you started doing lots of things here. What was uh what came first when you ended up back in Denver? Well, um I had a pretty uh I had a pretty long recovery. Um and once I got sort of over that recovery, I actually um, left again and I went to Vietnam to play in a piano bar for four months and traveled to Southeast Asia and then I came back from that and I was and you know at that point I was enough out of school I had recovered from this major health crisis not really recovered but was you know functioning from this major health crisis and landed back in Colorado and was like, I got to do something. So I, I started making my first record and that I think is kind of what rooted me more in, in Denver and Colorado because I was going through my first album process and I, I actually made it in upstate New York, but, um, you know, learning how to tour a record and promote a record and, kind of get a career going with a record um Colorado and that rooted. and that was it ain't love yes recorded in upstate New York I didn't know that mm -hmm. um so that came out and I know that was definitely getting passed around the music scene in Denver um quite a bit what kind of success did you experience from that and did you start uh touring off it a good bit as well yeah, I did. I learned a lot from that record. Um, uh, there were a couple songs from that record that I was submitting to a lot of songwriting contests at that time and um, had some success with a handful of them. So I would say that record just kind of launched my... It helped launch a, a singer-songwriter, you know, a, a troubadour singer-songwriter a troubadour singer-songwriter career and i know uh 2010 2011 you had a few awards come in um from the great american song contest rocky mountain folk festival 
um, what, uh, what was Kerrville? Kerrville? Yeah. Um, the Southwest Region Mountain New Song competition. Uh, there was a handful of them, and those were all off of this record. I think so. Yeah. Cool. Um, how did that? Did that impact your fan base in a big way? If you win one of those competitions, do you start seeing a new amount of followers or is it something that helps for the resume? What were some of the results of the competitions? I don't know. I get asked this question a lot because I've won <laughs> all of them. And I, I, I'm grateful for the recognition. You know, I, I always wanted to win Rocky Mountain uh, Folks Fest. Like that, like I grew up going to that festival. It was like a dream to be on that stage, you know. And I'm incredibly, I'm proud of those accomplishments, and I'm grateful for them. But um, I, I don't know how much it did for my career. I, I don't think it hurt, but I, it didn't necessarily propel me to some new level. I don't that I couldn't have gotten just by continuing to tour. And it, it's hard to know. I don't know how to answer that question. But what I will say is that I've seen those contests be very harmful to people's trajectories as well, you know. Um, it can be such an ego boost and it can be such an ego deflation. And I got lucky. I got lucky that I won, you know. But um, I've seen a lot of heartbreak from those com competitions too. And so it's hard for me to, to answer that question because I think it just depends on the person, where they are in their career, how, how thick their skin is, um, what else they have going on. You know, it's like if you're whole, a lot of people put a lot of eggs in those baskets and, and and be very deflating and you know th this career is already deflating like every day it's deflating right. <laughs> so, do I I think we just as like sensitive people we just have to like monitor our our deflation quota yeah. and what, what we expose ourselves to you know yeah yeah absolutely um so between I, 2010 and I, well, the next one the next record that came out commercially was 2015 the bargain correct yeah i had one uh, a couple years before that i did a, a collaboration project called in good company with a bunch of colorado bands i co-wrote songs with 10 or 12 uh colorado artists or bands and we put that record out i think that was 2013 it maybe was 2014 uh so anyway, In Good Company, that came out. And then I put out my next record, The Bargain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, Bargain, well, I guess in between in between 2010 and into, you know, let's talk about In Good Company. I'm skipping around. In Good Company. So that was your project, yes, that you kind of put together and wanted to co-write with a bunch of different artists in town? Mm-hmm. What was yeah. the end result of that? Tell, tell us about the record a little bit. Um, 
I learned a lot from that record too. I feel like it takes quite a few to, to get them. So you know what you're feeling, but um, I, uh, I co-write a lot in general and I, um, the record sounds like a mixtape because the songs, um, I intentionally kind of wanted to write songs in the style of the person that I was writing with rather than asking the people I was writing with to write in the style of Megan Burt. Right. And so this, the record's really different. I, or the songs on the record are really different because the, the cast is very different. <laughs> uh, but it was a really fun project. The release show was one for the books. Um, it was fun. It was a really fun project as uh, several of those bands aren't even bands anymore that are on that record. So, uh, Uh, it was cool. I have dreams of doing another one a little differently, but uh, I I really I really appreciate you know magical collaboration moments and things yeah. like you just have to sort of create them. So that's sort of where the Inga Company idea um, was just creating an opportunity to come together with a band or a project that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah necessarily shared a stage with that where did you do the release show at soiled dove oh cool um and i'm i'm looking at some of the collaborations on that uh the epilogues i, I were one of the biggest bands in denver at the time maybe the biggest band in denver and they were going on some i I'm trying to remember the band they opened for uh about that year or maybe a year earlier um I'll think of it in a minute, but so they were going out doing some good things. They're not doing a whole lot anymore. I see the Congress is on there. Um, Chris Daniels, John Magney, Shell, Coven You've got um, Rachel and the Kings. You've got a lot, Bob Schism. Yeah, I recognize every band on here. Yeah, and almost none of them are still a band. <laughs> Isn't that, not maybe half, you know, maybe half. Yeah, it wasn't your fault, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's funny uh, you will never know will we we'll never know um so <laughs> 2015 the bargain comes out and you've been in denver this whole time correct now from the time of putting out your first album you've kind of made yourself a denver resident correct yeah i guess you could say that i always tried it was trying to get out but but yeah that, that's how that worked well are maybe you'll maybe you still will <laughs> um so the bargain talk about that a little bit the bargain was um was a lot of songs sort of inspired by getting sick when i went to mississippi and um it was a really long healing process for me and uh a lot of those songs, not overtly, um, because I didn't want to write like a health crisis record, but if you spend time with the lyrics, if, if you're a person who gets in there, you'll hear a lot of that in there. 
yeah. Another record I did in New York. Um, I did that one in the city. What inspired you to record these, uh, to record both of those solo records in New York? I think a lot of things. I think one of it is sort of my, <laughs> this internal need I have to feel like I'm leaving Colorado. Um, I think one of it is just the idea of removing myself from my day to day to make a record feels really important uh, to me rather than like spreading it out over many months. Um, I like the idea of just sort of retreating to a place to make something. Uh, the musicians that I wanted to work with were at that time East Coast based. New York based or East Coast based. And so it made more sense to go to them than for me to bring them to me. Um, so I guess that's it. Yeah. And was there some touring around this time? Were you, were you doing some traveling either by yourself or with a band? Yeah, definitely. I sort of consistently up until the last year uh, been Touring a ton, um, all over, all the time, making trips to Nashville and LA and New York for writing, and uh, playing shows. Yeah. Do you prefer? Do you usually go out solo or take a band with you? I definitely prefer to take a band, but I. Uh, that's rarely an an option for me economically, so. Um, I have typically always toured solo or maybe duo if I'm in Europe. I, I, my first European tour was in 2015 and again, this last year aside, I've gone back every year since then. Um, and when I do the prison tours, I tour with a band always, uh, and sort of most everything else is dolo or if I'm touring with like another person. Yes, I guess it is. But I, I would say I do a lot of solo playing. Yeah. Um, and it, there's, there's two things you mentioned that I want to dig into deeper. One is touring in Europe. Um, how did that come about the first time and what's that experience been like for you? Uh, well, I always wanted to do it. And I, uh, sorry. I lost you. <laughs> Am I still there? Yep, there we go. Sorry, I got, I got a phone. Um, I always wanted to do it, and I was putting out a record in 2015, and so part of my, you know, release plan was I added a month in Europe. Where that record and uh, I I love it I I it's I've done you know Ireland UK and a lot of mainland and there's a learning curve definitely with uh, growing Europe and sort of the best way to go about it I I feel like I'm just getting to the point where I kind of know how to attack it and have it be the most successful. 
Um, but they're really wonderful. Playing in Germany is really wonderful because they, but playing in Germany is like playing in Texas. People really appreciate music in both of those places uh, in a way that just is so nice. It's just so nice to feel appreciated when you go play a game. And uh, yeah. It's tough. To, I know it's tough to find that in, in a lot of places. You know, I've we've all been background music more than a few times um, in gigs. So I'm sure it's very nice to be somewhere where you're feeling appreciated. And it would have to be something, it would have to make sense to go overseas like that because the overhead is, is more expensive than going to Texas. Um, so is, is it something for you where you feel like you've started building up a fan base there and plus you're just getting the great cultural experience of a new part of the world? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a been a wonderful excuse to travel and, and have it fall under my job. You know, a lot of most people have to save their, their days off up and save their money up and, or wait till retirement or something like that. And I feel really fortunate that I've been able to, find a way to work and, and travel at the same time. And believe me, like, it's not, I mean, it's grueling. Yeah. It's definitely grueling to play one day in France and then the next day in Belgium or the next day in Germany and the next day in Switzerland. It's like, it's very possible, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's not like I'm like vacationing every day, you know, it's just uh, great. Like you said, the great cultural experience and hopefully, hopefully I'm building a fan base over there. I'd like to be able to tour over there forever as long as I'm doing it. Yeah. Little by little, you know, it, it um, <laughs> little by little. Have you gotten, do you start to get repeat customers when you go to the same places and familiar faces and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously there's different types of gigs anywhere in the world, but for somebody who hasn't uh, gone overseas, either as an audience member or a performer, maybe, maybe they appreciate music a little more, I think you mentioned, or at least the live show aspect. What might be different that an American wouldn't expect walking into a show in say Germany as a as an artist or as an audience member uh, both uh, the hospitality I find is better in in Europe uh, especially mainland Europe just as far as like you know food and lodging and stuff where when you're touring that way in the U.S., that stuff is never covered unless you're playing a house concert. Uh, and that stuff is way more often just sort of part of the gig there. Uh, so it makes it more possible. Yeah. Um, in Germany, yeah, my experience is that audiences are very quiet. They're very, it's like playing a listening room which is awesome. And they, uh, the encore situation over there is crazy. Like they, it, like 
first of all, an encore is expected and it's usually like a double or triple encore. And I, that is just really uncomfortable for me. Like, I'm just like, stop. You can stop laughing. Like, please stop. Like, I'm so glad you appreciated the gig, but like, I'm uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's custom. It's customary. I don't even know if they want a, th- a third encore. If they're like, we're tired of this girl, but like, we're supposed to keep clapping. I don't know. It's very funny. So are these three separate encores where you get encored, you finish the song, they do it again, you finish the song, they do it again? Yeah, dude. Wow. So strange. So strange. But beautiful, you know? Really beautiful. Experience as an artist to feel that appreciated. It's so like me, of course, to be like, "Are you sure? Do you really mean that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, even if they are just being polite, it's a nice thing that they that they do that. It's so nice. It's so nice, and it you know, like in Ireland, I've never figured out how to make a penny there when I've toured there, but. I just love being in Ireland. I love that culture. And I think, I think that because music is such a part of that culture, you know, there's so many jam sessions um, where people are playing trad music all the time that I don't think it's as special for, you know, me to go over there. They're like, we get this all the time. Uh, so the times that I've toured in Ireland, I've done, I've added like three, I think I've been over three times. It's just, that's more like a, that's like a work vacation, you know, cause you're not making it. <laughs> At least I haven't figured out how to make any money there, but it's so lovely to be there. And the people are so, so lovely. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's different. It's always, you know, with everything we do, every new country you tour in, every new record you make, it's such a learning curve. It's, uh, sometimes I wonder if I'll ever quite land on it or <laughs> figure this whole thing out. But the uh, exploration is, has been fun in the meantime. Uh, I'm right there with you on the figuring it out issue. <laughs> Um, so another really unique thing that you do, um, and actually I don't hear of anybody doing this, is the prison tours. You've been going around with a band and touring uh, all female prisons, correct? Mostly male prisons, but Most a few. Prisons. What's that like? How, how, first off, how did that, how did that happen? Um, a guy... Uh, I've been doing, I think I've been doing it for about 10 years now. That sounds about right. I'm not sure. 10 years, uh, in December. It's kind of like a Christmas thing. Like a ho- you know, we don't really play Christmas songs, but it's a sort of a holiday. Right. Event for the inmate. And, um, uh, they're my favorite gigs. I absolutely, they're truly um, some of my favorite gigs. It happened because um, James Downtown Williams, my favorite drummer of all time, 
who I went to Berkeley with, who was playing drums with me for a while. I think his roommate, maybe, in Boston, when he left Berkeley, he got a job in Pennsylvania teaching guitar in one of the prisons. Yeah. And told James, like, hey, um, we bring in bands once or twice a year. You guys should you should come in. And so James, I call him Deep Down, uh, was really the one who opened that door for me and did a, several tours with me. And I've sort of, he now lives in Belgium. Um, I kept on doing them. I don't know, given COVID, that it'll happen this year. But, um, but it's a really wonderful experience. Is, are the inmates polite for the most part? Oh, they are so polite. They are so kind. They're so respectful. They're so polite. They're so much fun. They just appreciate the entertainment. Yeah. And if they're, what's the division between the inmates and the band? Um, are they sitting, you know, right up on the stage with you guys or is there a, a there's no division. Um, a lot of the concerts take place in the gyms. So they're kind of sit like, think like your middle school gym. They're like have bleachers pulled out and they're sitting on there and we're on the gym floor. Cool. Performing some of them, some of the older institutions have, um, a stage like either a, a stage kind of a thing. And we've played in the chapel on a, on a couple <laughs> institutions as well, which is the, the chapel's used for all different denominations. Um, so they're, they're, uh, I guess I, the word is, that's coming up is bland as far as like a chapel goes because sort of an all purpose chapel, I suppose. Right. And have you, have you ever connected with anybody who saw you or maybe shot you an email who saw you while they were um, an inmate and then got out and continued to follow your music or something like that? Yeah, a, a few people. That's got to be really cool. It is cool. It is really cool. Um, It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing because, you know, we don't ever, I don't think we ever can fully appreciate how much what we do might impact someone because we do it a lot. We might've had an off night you know, we're so self-critical of ourselves and our performances and um, just all the things, you know, but, but, you know, it's a, it's been really a beautiful reminder to me because you never know who came to your concert that was having a shit day and, you know, or you played their favorite song or you just never know when those stars are going to align and, and I think that's what that has done that, you know, those people that I've <coughs> uh, 
kept in touch with a little or, or, or follow me on Facebook or whatever that I played for in the institutions, you know, and they're like, they're so, they're like, you, you were the best part of that of 2015 for me. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't even imagine that, you know, I can't even imagine that my hour long concert was anybody's best part of anything. You know, it's just yeah. like a thing I do. And I'm so grateful if it's, if it's a positive for somebody, but those people are in such horrible conditions that apparently it doesn't take much <laughs> to bring some joy and light into their life. And what a gift. I'm really grateful to have that opportunity to, to be something I'm going to look forward to. So cool. Yeah. That's really great. And I, I don't know anybody else who's, doing that sort of thing it's really cool that that you get out and do that and i bet it's just yeah i can't even imagine the experience even as you just described it to me and i was trying to put myself in your shoes i just thought i can't i mean it's just got to be a um a really cool experience a really neat thing to do um so what's what's been the latest for you what's i know you've got uh, a collection of songs you just put out with a group called ginger bomb um and I think we can all guess, but tell us where the title came from and, and about that group a little bit. Uh, so I moved, uh, not very vocally, um, but I, I moved sort of part-time to New York, to Brooklyn about four years ago. And um, I was just essentially making trips back and forth between Colorado and New York and all the other touring that I do, there's, um, I was on like six airplanes a month, at least for about four years. Uh, anyway, while I was there, I got set up on a co-write with this guy, Zach Berkman, and we were doing a lot of sessions for uh, film and TV placements, and uh, we sort of we started writing a few songs that were not very TV friend, TV licensing friendly. And it was just kind of a joke. Like maybe we should make a redhead band. And then we just ended up doing it. <laughs> and, um, and so Zach and I wrote this record and called some other redheads that we knew. And we assembled at LA <laughs> at uh, one of our at house and we made this record and um, put it out just a couple months ago in the worst time to put out a record in the history of record releases. Mine, mine was two months ago, almost exactly. Yeah. It's uh it is a bad time. Yeah. And how many, how many, uh, do I, what do you, gingers, redheads, how do, I don't know what the correct way to say it is, but um, how many people with red hair in total ended up playing on the record? Uh, five. There are five gingers, five redheads, whatever, floats your boat is cool, yeah. uh, on the record, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a really fun album. I, I, I'm really proud of it. I hope people check it out. It's uh it's, you know, the band is kind of a joke. So the music 
there's some meaningful songs on there, but you know, we're, we're not like a parody band. Like we're writing real songs, but they're a lot of them are really light and fun. And it's been a fun project for me because I feel like my solo project is all, you know, those songs are like feeling based. <laughs> you really got to feel to be to listen to my music and I gotta really feel to write it and it's um you know there's a lot of emotional um sorry I'm getting so many phone calls um apologize anyway there's a lot of feelings required and and ginger bomb is easy you know it's just it's it's an easy thing to say yes to and and um, anyway, that record is available. We have vinyl we're shipping out. Um, the vinyl's red, of course. It's very, very on brand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, people can check that out. Gingerbombband.com or Spotify or whatever. And we'll put that, um, I'm making a quick note here. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, if people want to pick up a vinyl or listen on Spotify or support um, in whatever way, is that a nice outlet for you to be able to do something musically that's not under Megan Burt's to, to do something a little bit different? Totally. And like, I, I'm so weird. I'm such a like weird Virgo, like type A ish kind of person that I, I feel like everything needs a box. Like I need a compartment to put everything in for it to make sense for me. So consequently having all these projects, having like a licensing project and ginger bomb and Megan Burt. And if I do in good company, you know, I have a place to put all of my music and that feels good to me because, (laughs) um, it doesn't all feel like it fits the Megan Burt brand, but I love, you know, I do a lot of songwriting and I don't want to limit myself. Right. For branding, you know, that's so dumb. <laughs> where, where do you sit? What is your, I don't know if, if it's say end goal or, but what's your big goal um, in, in the music industry? Where do you see yourself? And is it similar or way different than the way you, saw yourself as your as your end goal when you were 18 headed to Berkeley yeah I think it's morphed a lot you know the reality of the music industry is uh, you know it's very sobering it's it's no this industry is no joke it's not for the weak of heart (laughs) I I still I think I will ever for I mean I don't but I, I'll just say I still have that big goal of headlining Red Rocks and, you know, being big enough to do that. Filling, you know, that when people are like, who are the Colorado darlings? Like Gregory Allen and Nathaniel Rateliff. And like, I would like to be in that cast of characters. Yeah. That was good. But I also would love to be able to make a living making music. And um, I think there's a lot of ways to do that. So I guess 
my goal these days is, and I, I it's shifted. I'm just, I'm in a bit of a transition period right now, and the last year has been really. Uh, the last year has been a lot of things personally, but um, I. I want to make music that I really believe in. That feels very important. Uh, uh, saying no to things I don't believe in feels important. That feels like an important thing to be doing right now and, and a lesson I've had to learn. And figuring out a way to make an income making music that I can really stand behind. Yeah. That that That's sort of my goal with me. <laughs> Uh, I have a lot of similarities to you in there. Um, so as, as one thing to sort of wrap things up, I want to talk about your Patreon a little bit. Um, it's a thing that's been out for a while, but a lot of people still don't know about it. Um, but I, I feel like there's been a, a resurgence of it or not resurgence. I think more people have signed up since the quarantine started, um, as an outlet to uh, for musicians to survive and continue to do what they do. Um, and for those who don't know, Patreon is an outlet where people can, uh, fans can subscribe and it could be monthly or per video or per song, whatever they can subscribe and pay a different amount um, to the artist. And it basically allows the artist to keep doing their thing, keep doing what they love doing, keep doing what they're great at. And, um, you get perks if you're a, if you're a patron they call it a patron of of megan burt she has perks for you um for supporting her so that's patreon if you don't know tell us about your patreon well my patreon i launched right before the quarantine about a month before COVID hit and my uh some of my inspiration behind doing a Patreon, you know, I, I've been um, flirting with the idea in my mind for years and it never quite felt right or good or aligned with me. And um, a year ago, actually today, this is my Lyme anniversary, um, I got really sick again. <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to make this not be a trend every decade of my life. But, um, and I, I fell very ill last summer and I ended up having to cancel six months of my life and then COVID hit and now everything is canceled again. Um, but I launched a Patreon as I was starting to regain some of my strength from Lyme in February as a way for me to start making music again because my life literally sort of stopped dead in its tracks last July. Um, and it was a way for me to also sort of heal this relationship that I have with the music industry that artists are supposed to suffer because it's free, because Spotify, because of streaming. And I, I sort of subscribed to that idea that I had to like work myself to my death, essentially, 
to like give my music away because that's what the industry was doing. And I wanted to heal, you know, I wanted to start making music again. I wanted to give exclusive content to the people who really loved and supported me. And I wanted to heal a relationship within myself of, wait, what I do has value. And if people see that, they can pay for it. Like, it's only a dollar. You can sign up to my Patreon for a dollar. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in gouging people. I'm just interested in, in finding the value, you know, in like recognizing the value of what I do and letting other people recognize it. Too. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, COVID hit, everyone's tours were canceled and <laughs> Patreon is uh, booming. But um, I guess I, I go into that detail because I think that Patreon now is a really important part of our evolution as a music industry because I think that it's helping to retrain a collective idea around music as an art form that has value that people can pay for if they find value in it yeah and I'm really excited about that part of it and it and it makes me more excited to create you know it makes me more excited to put like everything I have into what I'm putting out there because I know that like not everyone is getting it. The people who really, really want it are getting it. And I really, really want to deliver awesome work or who really want it. So I call them my Burt Bacharachers. It's just our little, our little secret community of people and anyone can join and, um, you know, welcome to the party. You can get all of, you know, and I've essentially released like a full record at this point that is not accessible on Spotify or YouTube or like, it's the only place you can hear my new music, so. I was going to ask what some of the perks were. That's quite, that's the ultimate perk. <laughs> that's great. Well, and are, are you feeling, health-wise, are you feeling better now? Are you, um, I, I don't know, uh, much about Lyme or the recovery process, but uh, where are you at right now? Yeah, it's very different for everybody. We'd have to do like another three podcasts to really get into Lyme, which we shouldn't do. Um, but thank you for asking. I, I, uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, I, I feel a world of, I feel like a different human than I did a year ago. And um, I'm very focused on healing. So I'm reaping the benefits of that. I, I'm I'm seeing it work. It's great. Good, good. Well, um, I wish you all the best and continued recovery with that, and and all the best success too in the future. And I've looked up to you for a long time, so I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with me. And, uh, and we'll do it again sometime. That would be great. Well, it's great to see your face and. Um, thank you for asking me to do this and good luck as you're sort of also navigating your way through this weird gigless landscape. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for doing the show and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye.
there you have it fun convo thanks megan for your time and wisdom i appreciate you coming on the show and it was great to catch up it was great to cyber see your face We're about to hear a song from Megan Burt called Real Thing. She's going to play us out with that song. It sounds great. You're going to love it. Again, you can support her on Patreon. Um, You know, you can listen wherever you listen or stream music. Go to Spotify and check out Ginger Bomb. These artists are up here to check out and and support. And I hope uh, listeners continue to support them after after this hour. And continue to listen to their music if if it's something they enjoy. I have a show with my band, our first live show in many months, July 18th at Globe Hall in Denver, Colorado. Tickets are $20, and there will be two shows, a 7.30 show at 20% capacity, and then they're going to sanitize and clean the whole venue, and there will be a 9.30 show at 20% capacity. Social distancing is a thing. Uh, The tables will be spread out depending on who you order your ticket with, and... Like I said, cleaning between shows so that people to keep it clean, right? To stay safe. So um, I don't know exactly how it's going to go. It's my my first time doing one of these in many months with a band. But if you're in the Denver area, I'd appreciate it if you'd come check it out. All right. Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, death threats, send them to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week. And if you like what you're hearing, Give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're also now on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces during the interview. Check it out on there as well. YouTube.com slash Andy Sido has all of that content. Have a great week.